Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I'm so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So friends, I can't believe it, but today is our last episode of season 15. To wrap up this season, we're talking about a really important topic, and that's how to deal with mean girls and friend drama as an adult. I wanted to have this conversation because I'm such a believer that as friends, we can be the best thing to happen to each other. In so many ways, I am who I am because of the incredible women in my life. Their guidance and love and presence in my life has changed everything for the better. But I've also experienced the opposite in friendship. The negative experiences I've had with female friendship have broken my heart and scarred me more deeply than any other relationship in my life. In fact, if I could go back and give my younger self one piece of advice, I would tell her that you don't have to be friends with people who are mean to you. But of course, that's so much easier said than done, even as an adult, right? And that's why I'm so excited for this conversation. To talk us through this, I've invited my wonderful and brilliant friend, Danielle Byer Jackson, back on the show. Danielle's a certified friendship coach and a national speaker who works to teach women how to create and maintain better female friendships. Y'all, Danielle has so much great advice on this topic. If you're dealing with friend drama, mean girls, or friendship hurt of any kind, this episode is for you. This conversation would have honestly been life-changing for me if I would have had it a few years ago, and that's why I'm so happy to get to share it with you. But before we dive in, since we're talking about friendship, I wanted to take a second to tell you about some of my favorite things that we currently have in our little shop. Because I don't know about you, but I love to spoil my girlfriends whenever I get the chance. So first up is our pink girls' night travel tumblers. They come in two different designs, and I created them as a celebration of the true magic that happens when we gather together as girlfriends. I love these tumblers so much, and they really do keep your beverages either hot or cold for hours. I actually have mine in my suitcase right now. I'm about to go hang out with several of my friends, and we all have matching tumblers, and so I'm making sure to bring mine so that we can take a picture of all of ours together. Another item I just love in the shop is our girls' night seasonal sweatshirt. Our sweatshirts are so soft, I wear mine all the time. Like truly, they're a part of my uniform. And plus, they come in a really beautiful mauve color, which is just perfect for fall. Oh, and speaking of fall, one last thing I wanted to tell you about is our Together mug. It's a ceramic mug and has this beautiful and, like ampersand symbol on the front. And it's in this beautiful floral print. And it's there to remind you that you're not alone in what you're going through and that you don't have to go through life alone. I can't think of a better gift to share with your best friends, right? Guys, if you're interested in any of these things or you want to see what other products we have available in the shop, just go to stephaniemaywilsonshop.com. Again, that's stephaniemaywilsonshop.com. Okay, with that said, let's jump into the episode. Here's my conversation with Danielle. All right, friends, I am here with my friend, Danielle Jackson, who I am just like totally obsessed with. So Danielle, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Of course, I had a great time talking to you the first time. And so I, I have a good feeling about this conversation too. I, yes, I do too. <laughs> um, so we've had you on the show before. We'll go ahead and link to that episode in the show notes so everyone can go back and listen. Um, but for women who are just now meeting you, tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself. 
Yeah, so I am Danielle Byer Jackson. I'm a female friendship coach and educator, which normally gets met with like suspicion and condescension sometimes. Um, but I enjoy being in this space. And so ultimately what that means is I can help women through um, various stages of navigating your platonic relationships. So whether that's positioning yourself to make new friends or how to uh, prep for a difficult conversation or how to release friendships with grace. Women bring me in on that part of their lives and we uh, navigate it together. Um, and as far as a, a fun fact, God, these are always like so tricky. Um, but one fun fact, I guess, would be, well, I just submitted my manuscript. So I am really excited about that. I don't know if it's fun, but it's definitely a fact. It's, well, and it's fun for you. So <laughs> this will be your me. this will be your first book, right? My my I self published the first time, so this is my first traditional book, and yeah, okay. I'm very excited, and I'm excited to get it into women's hands. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Well, I am so grateful for the work that you do because, um, you know, we talk about this all the time on the show. I am just such a believer that we can be just one of the very best things about each other's lives as women, as friends, like life. I mean, that's what this whole show is all about. You know, life is so much better and easier and more fun when we're in it together as women. Um, and I mean, my life, the entire, every corner of my life is different and better because of my girlfriends. Mm. And, but I also have been like a very close recipient of the fact that the opposite can also be true and that we can really do some damage to each other as women. And I always hate when people say like, girls are terrible friends to each other or like all girls are mean girls or whatever. Because I'm like, that is not true. That's not true. Um, female friendships can be this just incredibly life-giving thing. But it is true that sometimes we don't know how to be that way for each other or we choose not to. And so I know from experience that we can do some really serious damage to each other. I've been like in a lot of friendships with that, that didn't feel totally like safe and unconditionally loving. Mm. Um, I also, oh, I hate saying this. I also have been a mean girl at different points in my life. Um, and so because this is such an important thing, I just want to pick your brain about all things having to do with mean girls. Like what we do if we are in a situation with another woman that, where we don't feel like it's safe or comfortable or valued as we would like to. So how do you feel about that? Can I just like pick your brain like crazy? I'm so excited to have this conversation because a lot of times in interviews, it's like one of many questions like we talk about. So how do we deal with the drama? And then we go into something else. And so to have some dedicated time to explore what's really going on there, um, mm -hmm. I think is really important. So I'm I'm excited to do this. I love that. Um, one of the things that that people have asked me in, in different interviews is like, if you could go back and tell yourself something at, you know, when you were 18 or 21 or 25 or, you know, something, what would you go back and tell yourself? And one of the biggest things I always say is you do not have to be friends with people who are mean to you. Mm. And it's because I think it it really, you know, our friends should be our safest place. Ideally, it should be the place where we can go in our sweatpants with none of our life pulled together and we can just be the most raw version of ourselves and have a team to like help us through whatever it is we're going through. But when our friendships, when that when that group is like where we have to put on like armor, you know, like we can't put yeah. on sweatpants, we have to put on armor. It like, I, this is maybe such a random thing to say, but like, I think it's similar or it has similarities with why 
church hurt is so painful mm. because it's like you go into a church with your guard down or or at least you start out that way. You go in with your guard down and you're hoping that like this can be a place where you can be like emotionally safe. And so if things don't go well or, you know, if someone betrays your trust, like in that setting, it's like extra devastating. Mm. And I think that that's true in friendships too. It's like the goal is for us to be together and safe and and loving and like on each other's team. And when that is the place where you're actually doing like the most battle, it's just extra, it's just extra painful. Have you found that to be? I so appreciate that parallel and I've never made that connection before. And that's really powerful too. Like the church example. Yeah, you know, it's hard because, you know, I even start my book by talking about how everything kind of has two sides. And whenever you bring up female friendship in a room full of women, you know, you're either going to get women who are like, oh my gosh, my friends are my everything. Female friendship is like so beautiful. Where would I be without it? Woo. And then you have girls who are like, yeah, so that's why I don't deal with women. And they kind of scoff. There's this disdain and they have hundreds of stories on the ready for how they have suffered at the hands of another woman. And the truth is that it's both. Female friendship is life-giving and it will also probably be the worst betrayal you experience. It is, you know, really beautiful and you draw so much support from women who want to love on you. And you will have women who, you know, um, who deceive you and who um, who started out as your friends, but then something turned along the way. It is all of those things. And so um, I heard uh, Shasta Nelson, who's a friendship expert, she always talks about the word drama. And she says, when you bring two people together, Drama is inevitable. Drama just refers to like ups and downs and ups and downs. It's inevitable. So it does become a, a matter of who do I want to engage in quote unquote drama, you know, with, you know, even if I have supportive friends, there's going to be times when, you know, they're down and then being down affects my day. And, you know, so when you're in close relationship with people, you know, the closer we are, the greater the potential to hurt me. So I know sometimes people experience hurt and they're like, okay, well, then I'm not going to deal with other people at all. I'm not dealing with women, but you will also lose all those benefits as well. And so, you know, yeah, we have to exercise wisdom and discernment when we engage with one another. But unfortunately, the truth is that even if we have close friends, there's some potential there to to be hurt and experience pain. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, so yeah, that was where I wanted to start actually. So you know, just because we have conflict with a friend or a woman who who isn't even necessarily a close friend, that doesn't necessarily mean that someone is being a mean girl. Um, like if we find ourselves feeling hurt by the words or actions of another woman, what do we do about it? Like, how do we talk? To, like, do we talk to them? If so, what do we say? So like kind of mean girlness aside, how do we... Um, we're hurt in in an interaction, like how do we address it? Yeah. So the first thing I, I like to say is to give the benefit of the doubt, which sounds kind of counterintuitive in a friendship because we'd like to think we know each other so well. So we know exactly what her motivation was when she said that. I know exactly what her intention was. I know her so well. And so what's interesting is if you force yourself to kind of operate with the benefit of the doubt, you might uncover so much more. So if you get curious instead of accusatory, if you say, okay, that that comment you made at brunch yesterday, what was that about? As opposed to, 
yeah, well, you were being snotty at lunch yesterday. Okay, is it possible that she said it and I took it the wrong way? Is it possible that she knows it was snotty and when confronted will be vulnerable with me and say like, yeah, you're right. Like that, that wasn't cool. That's my bad, okay? But I'm gonna get curious about, I know it's not in my head. This thing factually happened. I wonder what was behind that. Um, Because unfortunately, what we sometimes do is say, I know exactly what she meant by that. And then we begin ruminating over it. And then maybe we bring it to other women and they hype us up. Oh my God, she, that was snotty. You're so right. And then we're like, we're, we're, we're designing a behavior and responding to self-generated narratives. So I decide what I'm going to do in response to that. And I could be operating off of a baseless assumption. So the first thing is to get curious. The second thing is to ask her. And again, a question, not a con, you know confronting her, but it should have a question mark on the end. So instead of, hey, what you did yesterday wasn't cool, it's, hey, what was yesterday about? Because I felt some kind of way, you know, when you said that in front of everyone, that joke, I know you were just joking, but like, but, but what did you mean? Okay. It gives her an opportunity to clarify or creates a shared understanding that maybe you didn't have before. And then finally, you know, accepting that disappointment sometimes is, is a part of a friendship. You know, the closer we get to each other, it's like having like glasses on, you know, the closer we get, we're also going to see some stuff we don't like. Like that comes with getting close. We get closer and closer. Now I can see you up close. Uh, I see some stuff I'm not really a fan of, but that comes with the package. You know, and so if your friend does hurt you, the difference maker is accepting that she will let you down. You will have friends who let you down. That's what we do as people. Hopefully it's, it's unintentional, but that's what we do. I love my husband and I have let him down and hurt his feelings more times than I care to admit. The, the difference maker becomes how do they respond once you give them that data? Once I tell you, girl, yesterday, like that wasn't cool what you said. It made me feel some kind of way. I need a friend who says, wait, what, what, what did I say? Oh, you're right. That wasn't cool. You're right. And I'm not, I'm going to try not to do that anymore. You're still right. That's what, that's what counts. When you have the friend who, what are you talking about? No, I didn't. Or the, oh my gosh, you're upset over that. Or, well, it's not a big deal. Okay. Minimizing, gaslighting, denying. Well, now that's different because now you're showing me when I bring you my heart to say, this is how that made me feel that you don't care that you're going to dismiss it, that you're going to make me feel embarrassed for feeling some kind of way. But a real friend wants that data, that information, so they know how to love you well. So bring it up and hopefully there are uh, there are positive outcomes from that. That is so, I'm like, oh, like I'm, I'm feeling things over here because the, <laughs> the, like what? I didn't say that or that's not mm-hmm. like, or I feel like I spent a lot of years wondering if, that comment meant something or if I was just being too sensitive. And that is like, I mean, truly, that is like decades of my life in friendship of trying to figure out like, was that hurtful or am I too sensitive? Mm. Um, And really, I think, you know, in a lot of those friendships, I was dealing with people who weren't looking for that data and who weren't trying to, I don't know, hear my perspective, who weren't, you know, working to be better friends, and that's that's a really like that's just a really tricky moment that I think so many of us have found ourselves in. Yeah, you know, I wrote a whole chapter on on relational aggression because this is what some of us do. It's not exclusive to women, but it's what some of uh, some of us do, and it explains what you just said, where you're like, I know I saw something. I know I'm not crazy. Like I know she meant that to be like a a, a little dig at me. This is how some of us 
operate because physical, physical aggression between women is like a no-no. Like it's, it looks crazy when you see two women slapping each other, right? So we have to find other ways to aggress when I feel threatened or, I, or I feel upset and I want to hurt your feelings. I'm not going to come out and call you explicit names. Some women do that, but most of us don't do that because we value research shows looking cooperative. We want to give an image of I'm cooperative with the group. So when I'm not feeling cooperative, I'm still going to aggress. But how do I do it in a way that is so stealthy that I am harming you, but it allows me to harm you without being held accountable. And so one of the ways we can do that is I can say to you, you know, oh, that's a cute dress. Or I can say, oh, you know, we're, we're talking about Brian again. Okay. Because I know that if you think, was that sassy? And you confront me, I can say, what are you talking about? Oh my God, I didn't mean it like that. And now you look crazy. You look like you're being oversensitive. <laughs> you look like you're reading into things. And I can just dismiss it in front of other friends as like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean it like that. Or, oh no, what are you talking about? You know, so we know what we're doing. And I think the reason we're so good at it is because we are so good at like emotional intelligence. So we can either use that power for good. And I sense that there's something going on with you because I can tell in your micro expressions and I can, I can show up for you or I'm highly attuned to emotions. So I also know how to weaponize that against you as well. So you're not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, where was this a million years ago? Yeah. It is so true and we're so good at it. And you are totally right. Like, and I think that that's so my husband is really um like emotionally aware. He's a great mm. communicator, but even him sometimes I'll be like, that was sassy. And he'll go, it was not. Like you it's because you are operating on a different level. You don't hear things the way like I'm not I'm not crazy the way that she said that like she's upset and it's just it's so amazing that like we we really do there's like what's happening in conversations and then there's a, there can be a whole other level and that mm-hmm. really is you're exactly right the thing that makes us such great friends we can go she's not okay and everyone else can go yeah she is you're like no she's not and you're right but you can also you're exactly right weaponize that mm-hmm. so like what do we what do we do in that situation? Someone says sass- something sassy at lunch. Oh, we're talking about Brian again? Okay. Um, <laughs> and you confront your friend and she is like basically denies it. Like, what do you do then? Yeah. So one of my go-to ways is I like to save it for one-on-one because one of the reasons why relational aggression thrives is because sometimes it requires a third party. So to have other people witness it or to participate in it. And so if I confront her in front of people and she denies it, do I risk looking like I'm being sensitive or having her spin it on me? And I hate to say playing all these mind games, but you know, we got to be prepared. So I like to do it one-on-one and to say like, hey, the... It, you know, I noticed you made that comment in front of everyone and I deduced from that that you are tired of me talking about Brian. Like, is that is that what's going on? Like calling out the playbook. Oh, right. This is what you're trying to do. Am I, you know, am I wrong or or did I, am I taking that the wrong way? If she denies, oh my gosh, I didn't mean it like that. I'll give her that one because maybe she didn't mean it like that. Maybe I am being sensitive. Maybe she now just realized like, oh shoot, she's going to call me out and she's going to stop. But I'm letting you know, I see the playbook, okay? Now, if that's a go-to response of hers is like, is to continue to do it, even though you've called it out and you know in your gut that this is what's happening, now you can make some decisions about if you want to maintain that friendship. Because in terms of playing games, in terms of 
being passive aggressive, meaning you're trying to communicate a message to me, but you don't want to be a direct uh, communicator about it. There's no time for that. And it, you know, at the risk of sounding dramatic, it kind of is like this psychological warfare because you want me to wonder if you meant something bad. You want to put a little seed in my mind to communicate to me mm, mm-hmm, that you're peeved, but you're not going to say it. And if we are friends, you don't want me over here wondering what's going on. If your issue is, girl, I feel kind of overwhelmed. Can we can we take a break from the Brian stuff? Then now we're working to find solutions. A friend wants to collaboratively work with me to find a solution. If I'm talking about this man too much or my ex-boyfriend too much, my friends need to be like, girl, okay, can we take a break? Next thing, okay? I, I can appreciate that. But if you're trying to make me go home wondering what you meant or getting little digs that you're subtly communicating, there's there's just no time for that. So I think at that point you would figure out, okay, is this a friendship I want to lean into? To use your word from earlier, do I feel safe here? Or is she training me? I can't be safe here because she wants to kind of like play games and cause like this invisible harm. And there's just no time for that. Why do we do this? Like I, I know I know why we, the thing about not wanting to like, slap another girl in public or in private. Like that totally makes sense. I mean, none of us want to do that. Um, But like we feel aggressive, we feel angry. And so we want to communicate that, but in a way where it doesn't make us look bad. Like that, Mm -hmm. all of that just is resonating like crazy. But why, like really, why are we, why are we like this? Where we, we want to cause another woman harm we want to send her home feeling stupid and also wondering what I think of her. And like, why do we do that to each other? Yeah, so many reasons. And and a lot of what I'm going to say are not like, they don't point to because this girl's bad. This girl's a drama queen. This girl's broken. This girl's mean. This girl's different. Because that's the easy answer. Some girls are like that. But whenever I think about this mean girl trope, I say this character, like, yes, she's, a real person, because some of us know that girl very well, okay? And like, to your point, some of us have been that girl. But I like to say that I believe that that's a a representation of a set of behaviors. So when we see this character or caricature, rather, on like reality shows or whatever, most of us have pulled from the set of behaviors that she's displaying, excluding other women, gossiping, um, um, gaslighting, saying something, but pretending we didn't say it, you know, little snarky comments, A lot of us pull from that. Why do we do that? For a myriad of reasons. One, because physical aggression is often frowned upon. Two, because we value looking cooperative. And the thing that women value most is connection, relationship. For some of us, we know that to be true because we'd rather maintain an emotionally abusive friendship than leave. Because you don't want to be a girl who doesn't have friends. You know, maybe a guy, maybe it looks cool culturally for him to be a lone wolf, not for a woman. There's almost like a social currency of having friends, you know? And so you don't want to be the girl who doesn't have them. So if we value connections, that means that's where you hit people where it hurts, is I'm going to cut your connections. So let's think about the different prongs of relational aggression. If I gossip about you, I'm harming your reputation, which will impact how people want to connect with you. If I tell them, if I if I allude to you, you know, in your certain behaviors with, you know, you know, if I allude to certain things to tarnish your reputation, I'm doing that because I want people to think twice about connecting with you. If I exclude you from the group, it removes you from dis- it removes you from connecting with us. If I give you the silent treatment, I'm making you feel disconnected from me, and I want you to feel that. 
I want you to wonder what you did wrong. So I'm going to not talk to you. All of these things sever you from being connected. We do this when we feel threatened. If, if I, I used to be a quote unquote mean girl too in high school, I understand now it's because I wasn't confident in myself. I don't believe I'm unique and I'm worthy and I'm special. And so if this new girl comes in our friend group, yeah, that feels like a threat to me. Because what if she takes my spot? What if she's more likable? What if she's funny? What if she's... So that's out of insecurity. I'm not secure in my relationships or in myself, right? Um, it also comes because we all compete. Men and women, we do compete. And I know there's a lot of like, ah, oh, girls compete, we shouldn't compete. Well, everyone does. That's how you get access to resources. We compete. Um, as a matter of fact, I read some research that said typically if a woman's like being physically aggressive, it's either over a man or over something about her um, substance, substance, like her, like something about her food or well-being or her her children, then we're going to go to blows, like if we had to. So we do compete. We do get aggressive. We absolutely do. It's just like, why are we doing it? And what does it look like? And so if you feel like you're competing for resources, resources here being connections, you are going to do little things to keep your connections. You do not want to be threatened. And so, you know, it, no, it's not a good thing, obviously, but we definitely have our reasons. And a lot of times as we feel like our place is is going to be taken. So what can I do craftily to make sure that doesn't happen to me? So it's like a, a fear of lack. It's a fear of, and really it's like a survival technique. A hundred percent. If in your mind, you need to survive, quote unquote, this situation. So if there's a, a new woman who comes to the the mom group, instead of me being warm and welcoming, if I start to see everybody's like talking about how amazing she is, well, I don't want to be ousted from the group. Is she more amazing than me? You know, or I see this a lot where we all start as friends. Let's say there's four of us and we are friends, but then two of us have a falling out. We know that there's a rush to both tell our narrative to everybody else because if she tells everybody else that I said something crazy or if I, whatever, and they start to form uh, an alliance against me or they start to invite me less or they start to do whatever, I've got to fight to keep my position. I don't want to get cut out. So I know I need to beat her to the punch. You know, none of us are going to articulate this verbally because we don't even realize we're doing it. But why? Because I'm fighting to keep my connections. And so unfortunately, that manifests itself in some ugly ways. Yeah, um, I, can, I can so see that. I think that, that the, the uh, exclusion, silent mm-hmm. treatment, like, yeah, kind of microaggressions, gaslighting, like all of those things. But it really, that, that place at the table, the idea of a place at the table, actually, okay. So um, I took a girl's trip last weekend with three of my best friends. And they're like my closest people. Um, and we were all sort of, we were all heading down to this dock. We were at a lake and I like went to go get some food. So I was like kind of sitting, sitting like away from the dock and they were all kind of setting up their places. And as they're setting up their places, they brought a towel for me and they mm. laid it out. So there was, there was enough room for four. They made sure there's room for all four of us and they saved me a spot. And that, I like called down from where I was and I was like, best friends save you a seat. That's what they do. <laughs> like, and I mean, they're so used to me like having these epiphanies every once in a while and just like, that's what it is though. But really, best friends save you a seat. If, and, and when you have a truly healthy group of friends, they, they do, they, they know that there's room for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like we have decided that there's room for four. And so we make room for four and we save room 
for the fourth. We bring them a towel. And and that just wasn't the way in my other friendships. It was mm. like, I don't know. There, it wasn't like there was a set number, but there just there wasn't room enough for everybody. And mm. so if you missed being there, you would get talked about. Like you just get, like whoever wasn't there would just sort of get pushed out. And I think by pushing one person out, they made everyone else feel like they weren't going to be the one to get pushed out. But it was just this constant ebb and flow of like, fighting for your spot. And it's Mm -hmm. absolutely exhausting. Yeah. And let me say this too, because I I think this is really critical. We talked a little bit before, which by the way, I love that moment with your friends. And that's like totally an (laughs) illustration that we all want, right? The friends who save you a seat. Yes. Okay. Um, You know, we're talking about like why women do this. And I'm talking about, well, because this is how you like hit her, you know, stealthily while still maintaining an appearance of being cooperative. But a lot of it too, is we don't, some of us do not have conflict resolution skills because if I'm giving you the silent treatment, it's because I'm upset about something. But I'm showing I don't have the skill because it is a skill of saying, I'm really mad at you about canceling like for the third time this week. Like, I don't know what to make of that now. That's annoying. (laughs) Instead of silent treatment, instead of telling the other girls like, she's so flaky. Isn't she flaky? Okay, so... One solves problems. One gets the need out there. It gets in the air and it, and it, and it sets an objective of, I want to work through this with you because I want to preserve what we have. Yeah. But I don't think it's that some women just want to get in the drama and do mean things. I don't think they even know that there's an alternative. I don't know if they even realize, you know, you can just tell her it wasn't cool what she did yesterday and make a plan moving forward so she'll stop canceling plans and you guys can be friends still. You know, so some of us don't know. We don't even know it's an option. And I wonder how much of it comes at not being able to resolve conflict and cultural pressures too. You know, uh, there's tons of research that shows that we frown upon women when they're assertive. I mean, like even in a healthy way, being like, hey, this is not okay. What happened yesterday? When I think about it in like a workplace environment, if we say, hey, we have some issues here, we need to figure them out. That's assertive. But am I going to look at get looked at differently than if a man said, we have some issues here, we need to figure it out. And so it's a nice blend of all these different factors that kind of make us lean into certain quote unquote mean girl tendencies. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. 
Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing. That is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. I was just taking notes as we were talking earlier. And like, when I look back at some of my, and I've shared this on the show before, but like, we talk about therapy a lot on the show Mm -hmm. um, because I just love it. And, um, but one of the times that I cried hardest in counseling in the last, I don't know, seven years or something. And the time when I like didn't see it coming, like, you know, you go in and or you're going to talk to a friend or your counselor or something and you're like, I'm going to cry today. Like, I know what I need to talk about and I'm going to cry today. Yeah. Um, this was not that. Like, it's like, we just kind of brought up something friendship related and all of a sudden I was sobbing. And it just was like, what happened there? And, and so it's been something that I've been kind of unpacking. Like, what, like for me, but also for, for like my understanding in general, what what does what do these interactions do to us? How do they impact mm-hmm. us? How do they impact us in the short term? How do they impact us in the long term? Like, how am I different? Because in good ways, but also in bad ways, because of the friendship experiences I had growing up. And so 
Anyway, I've been, I've been thinking through this a lot. And a couple of the things that I came up with about why we treat each other this way is one, insecurity. So it's like, mm. either you're going to get kicked out of the group or I'm going to. And so it's not going to be me. I can't let it be me. So it mm. is a survival thing. There are other instances where I feel like they might not have been, they might not have known how to be a safe place because they didn't come from a safe place. Mm. And so whether that was like their other friends, like I, I actually had some conversations to that effect where it was like, my high school friends talk to me this way. And so I just, I don't like, I just, this is where I come from. But then also within families, like if you have a relationship with your mom or your sister or something where they treat you in this way, it's really hard to to break that cycle, especially when you're, you're young. Like, you know, when you're in elementary school or middle school or something, it, you don't have the wherewithal to not pass on the way that you're being treated. And, and if anything, it gives you kind of some feelings of control over your situation. If you feel out of control in one area of your relational life, then to be able to have some control, um, even in a harmful and unhealthy way in another area, like helps a little bit in some way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that you're giving so much context for why people might show up this way because you are absolutely... You're absolutely right. It's funny to see how much of our personal stuff we bring into our friendships. You know, they are not immune from from getting it on them. You know, whatever kind of complexes we're bringing into that relationship. So I appreciate you you sharing that. Have you found anything? This is like honestly just something that occurred to me this week. Was and you actually kind of mentioned it earlier, but you said something about like abusive friendships, mm-hmm. and we we are starting to use, like the word gaslighting. You know, I think mm-hmm. most of us didn't really know what that meant until a few years ago. Which actually, I might have you define it for us. But like we talk about this in in the in relation to romantic relationships. But I'm wondering if like because we have we have more friendships than we do romantic relationships because it's non exclusive. You know, mm-hmm. you can have five like. I'm the first one to say you can have five best friends <laughs> and, um, and uh, you you can't really do that with a significant other. But then also there's not really this formal breakup moment that happens generally. And so there's not really a more, or there's not really as much of a prescribed way out. But then also, I don't know, we just don't, there's more and more talk about what to do if you're in, in an abusive or unhealthy romantic relationship. But have you found anything about how these kinds of friendships affect us. Yeah, so it's tricky because um you know on the my podcast is called the Friend Forward podcast and I normally lean to things that are I'll say middle of the road. I try to explain both sides of whatever the topic is of the week. And I'll tell you, I've kind of stayed away from addressing extremes. So, you know, I know right now it's kind of hot or kind of mainstream for people to be like, "Oh, give me tips on how to identify a narcissist. What is gaslighting? What is and as mental health terminology becomes more and more mainstream, we're looking for that. I've always stayed away from that because I want it to be known that that is extreme. That is extreme. So I try to create the content from a place that's like, this is coming from a relatively securely attached place. If you have certain complexes that you know are probably coloring how you show up in friendship, certain friendship trauma with your mother, abandonment issues, how can you tend to that wound or get that wound healed so that it doesn't skew how you show up in friendships and you can enjoy healthy friendship. But we all have certain little things, right? However, if you find that you have been in friendships where you are always getting made fun of and the short end of the stick and um, kind of ganged up on and 
belittled and all those things. Uh, I did recently interview a psychologist and she gave some tips. One of them, it's not a popular response, but she went back to, you have to look at why you continue to attract these dynamics. Again, it is not your fault. It is not your fault if other women are treating you this way. I will say, if you look at your entire friendship history and your story for every narrative is women have always taken advantage of me, called me names, betrayed me. I don't think it's normal for every friendship story to be that story. So I would say take a look at certain people you attract or is there any part of you that feels like you need to earn love so you only feel comfortable in relationships where you're in the position of earning like things like that then that probably would manifest itself in those kind of outcomes Um, if you're going into a new friendship and you're like gosh I want this to be different sometimes signal that to your friend I know sometimes you want to harbor it to yourself but sometimes signal that to a new friend and say okay well I guess I just I'm trying to work through some stuff and I've had friends who you know they've They were not honest. So if I ever get like super skeptical and paranoid, I'm not trying to be weird. I'm trying to shake that off though, you know, because some people want to help you through that and not like be your counselor or therapist, but it's helpful context. So for you to front load our friendship by saying, okay, I'm just telling you right now, I have a tendency to blow people up on text all day. I'm working on that, you know, but now I can, oh, okay. You know, maybe you kind of are a little anxious around that and some stuff has happened where you feel like you're going to get left if you don't, you know, perform well and please. Sometimes to know that about yourself and have the vulnerability communicate it, the right people are like, oh my gosh, that is such helpful context. Okay, so maybe I won't be as annoyed because I know that I, I I need to be patient with you on that and I'm willing to because you add value to my life. And so yeah. it's okay to signal it. It's okay to look at, what is it about me that's making this a, a pattern? And it's okay to um, to believe that you are worth more. No, it's not normal to have friends who make fun of you, who talk down about you, who talk about you to other people, who cannot celebrate when you make an you know you have an achievement. That's no, that's not normal. So I just like want to make that really clear. So if any woman's in that space and she's like, "Well, is it normal?" No, it is not normal. There's so much in there. I think (laughs) one of the things that um, I think about a lot is the fact that our most important relationships all really impact each other. Mm. And so like, um, I found that, you know, the better my friendships are, the better my marriage is. Like, I just am a better version of me. I have like, you know, better um, sounding boards. I have, you know, I give my husband better gifts because I have a team being like, okay, do you guys like this better? Like this better, you know? It's, I mean, just all kinds of things. Like I just, I'm, I'm better in my other relationships because of my other relationships. And one place where this is really true is that the healthier we are, the better our friendships will be. And so I know that as I've been doing work on my insecurities, on my, you know, mental health, on all of these different areas of my heart, my friendships have all gotten better Mm -hmm. um, because we're able to bring a more whole version of ourselves and we're not like bringing as much, like we don't have as much like kind of compensate for or like work around. We just get to be more, more free in our friendships. But I do also really like the idea of cluing your friends in on the things you're working on. You know, for me, something that I always struggled with was like, I'm always worried that I am going to like say the wrong thing. And I think it like Mm. part of that is because I had friendships where it felt like I was always saying the wrong thing, whether I was or not. Um, But that's something that it took me like a really long time to get through and counseling to get through was, was to stop like second guessing my words or like, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking all my interactions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that 
letting my friends know that that's something that I was working on was helpful because then they could say, I know you're going to think this, don't. Mm -hmm. You know, or like, don't apologize for this or, you know, they were able to kind of help me through it, but then they were also able to give me some some extra grace along with it. That was sort of a, a kind of a mashup. So I love the last thing that you said though, especially that it's not normal because I think that a lot of women don't know that. So like what what is normal? What can we reasonably, like, so because that was that was the back and forth that I spent a long time, you know, wavering between was like, am I too sensitive or... Am I like? Am I expecting too much of my friends that they would, you know, be kind of, like not constantly hurt my feelings, or do I need to be tougher? Like, you know, where where is the line there? What can I reasonably expect of my friends? And am I hurt because I'm expecting too much? I think in my circumstances, the answer is no. I wasn't expecting too much, and so what can we reasonably expect of our friends? Like, how? What line can we draw? Like, this is how people need to treat me to be my friend. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this question. And I wish people asked it more because sometimes we like circle around. We never get to like, wait a second. Are my expectations like rooted in reality? And so maybe I should change that word because I said it's not normal, but normal means like this is the norm or the average. And unfortunately, certain uh, problematic behaviors are becoming the norm. So maybe I should be saying, as I think this through, it's not healthy. It might yeah. be becoming more normal to have women kind of like, oh, I'm your friend, but when you go away, I talk about you. That might be becoming the norm. It is not healthy. And mm-hmm. so a couple things here. One, you need to stay grounded in what keeps you, what is your, what is the truth? Okay. You need to be grounded in what is that thing that serves as your compass of your truth of what is healthy or not, um, is helpful. The second thing is to, I know that uh, attachment styles are becoming increasingly popular and, um, I enjoy learning about it. It's so helpful and insightful. There's research that shows the more you learn, about what a secure attachment is or secure relationship. Like just knowing that it's a thing and hearing it defined gives you a better chance of becoming more secure. So read up on, I've noticed like a trend on, you know, whatever we have, whatever our ailment is or our complex is, we read up on that all day long. We're watching social media videos on it. We're following hashtags of it. We're reading books on it. You need to find out what's the definition of secure and healthy friendships. You need to be reading that. Like inform yourself of what a healthy connection looks like as much as possible to help you better understand your algorithm. I I heard a, a colleague, Dr. Marissa Franco, uses this in her book, which is titled Platonic. It's about friendships. Your algorithm. She says, we're all working on different algorithms. So yours might be skewed. You need to kind of get that like tweaked a little bit by looking up what is, you know, normal and healthy. And so, yeah, you need friends who affirm you, they validate you. Now that doesn't mean they're going to affirm some nonsense. You have friends who are going to say, okay, you cannot talk to people like that. Like that was a little rude. I need friends who will do that. And I need to be in a healthy mental space to not think, oh, they don't support me. They're just coming at me. I need to be in a healthy space where I can say, you know what? Okay. They're right. I'm so grateful for that correction, you know? So it takes two things. You cannot attract healthy friendships if you're not healthy. We know that. But it takes, you know, kind of knowing what your truth is and your compass, um, what that is for, you know, for me, that is my faith. So like, Lord, what do you say? 
first of all. And it helps me kind of know, okay, this is kind of crazy over here. This is not okay. And then like, yeah, having some sense of worth, like knowing that you offer something valuable. And then finally of what's normal is to work on yourself as a friend. It's not a very like sexy tip, but I I promise you, if you work on yourself, you will attract uh, healthier friendships. So I know for some women, they're like, where do I begin? I'll rattle off very quickly some traits to get you started. This is a good friend trait list created by Dr. Suzanne Deggs, I think her last name is, but she's a psychologist who focuses on friendship. She came up with some traits so you can assess yourself right now. One, uh, dependability and reliability. Do you keep your word? Two, are you a good time? Some of us are around here thinking that friendship means I have people I can dump on all day. Are you relatively pleasant to be around? You know, one thing on that, I just, Mm -hmm. I have to jump in is like, that's something that my friends and I talk about a lot because that's, that's a constant balance of like, sometimes we have really hard stuff going on and like, we're talking about Brian a lot, you know, like you really do. You're going through something. You need to talk about Brian like a lot. And I feel like my friends and I are constantly saying, don't apologize. Like you're really going through something. Like, no, we can absolutely talk this through again. But the time when that kind of shifts is if you're not ever putting an in any, um, like there needs to be kind of a balance of withdrawals, uh, deposits and withdrawals. Mm. So there needs to be time when you're just laughing and talking about nothing and sending memes back and forth and like getting dinner and having experiences together in order to be able to like talk about Brian endlessly for two months or something. It's like that is, friendship is for both. But when you have just the fun without any of the you know vulnerability of this is what I'm going through, then you have kind of a like lack of substance friendship. But if you have just the, let me dump all my Brian stuff on you constantly, it's like, that's an exhausting, that's an exhausting friendship. It's like, that's kind of a, more of like a, a life draining friendship. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I could talk about these traits all day, but I will, I'll just sit there for a second. Yes. There's research that suggests that if you want a generally healthy or a positive relationship, your positivity to negativity ratio should be five to one because we have a negativity bias and negativity weighs so much. So they found that the most successful couples, I know I'm applying it to a platonic sphere, but the most successful couples have a ratio of five positives for every negative. And my husband has to get on me about that sometimes because I have criticism for days. And he's like, oh my God, like leave me alone, you know? But with your friendships, like, yes, we can go to each other and bring our burdens. But if, you know, out of the last 10 times, nine of them were talking about our burdens. I mean, at some point, it's got to be a relatively pleasurable experience to be together. And so, you know, there are a couple of things we have to self-assess to make sure we can attract that. And, and that's one of them is having a positive uplifting worldview. And yeah, I go to my friends for help, but that's not the sole purpose of why they're here in my life is for me to dump on them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So keep talking about, I know I, I interrupted you in some of the traits, but... No, no. Of- yeah. But some of them are what you would expect. Dependability, trustworthiness, do you keep your word, um, having a positive outlook on life, having um, self-confidence. People are often surprised to hear, but are you confident in yourself? Having mm-hmm. a willingness to trust people are often surprised to hear. Like you can't be waiting for people to screw you over and think you're going to be enjoying good friendships if you're constantly waiting for her to betray you. That affects how you interact. You're not going to be vulnerable. You're not going to pour in because, you know. And then other things that you would uh, you would expect, being supportive. 
being a good listener, being non-judgmental. Um, so I have a, you know, I share these often on my, you know, website and things like that. But think about those traits. Do you offer them? If not, what are some areas you need to nurture? And when you do that, then you will notice yourself gravitating toward the people who who mirror those same things. Yeah, I really love that. I really love that. I think that one of the things, you know, we've been talking about boundaries a lot on the show because again, that's some of the work that I've been doing in the last decade of life is I didn't even know that that was a thing. I didn't even know that I could say, this is how I would like to be treated. This is how I deserve to be treated. And this is... You don't have to treat me this way, but if you want to be in my life, you do. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the end of it. <laughs> and because I do tend more towards like people pleasing, and because boundaries aren't like my first weren't my first language, they probably are now. I have had to really like really identifying them, solidifying them, writing them down. Mm-hmm. Like that is something that is so helpful for me because I think that when I'm in the moment, I don't know, make excuses for people, or I can I can sort of tell myself that I, you know, what I'm seeing isn't real. And, but so sitting like, you know, in the, I would say, I don't know, I think I was like maybe 26, but I just had like a hard friendship moment. And I remember sitting down and saying, this needs to stop. Like in my life, Mm -hmm. this needs to stop. I've had wonderful friendships all throughout my life, but I've also had some like not great friendships all the way through my life. And I just decided like that I'm not doing this anymore. I don't have time for this. I don't have the energy for this. This isn't good for in my heart or any other part of my life. And that's the thing, actually, you know, when we were talking about friendships impacting other areas, if you have like really crappy friends, it is going to be really hard for you to, like that's going to impact every other part of your life. You know, it's mm-hmm. impossible for you to like really go for a promotion at work or something if the people around you are telling you you're not going to get it. Like, it's just, that's so hard. And so, but I I remember really sitting down and saying, what what does it take to be in my life and and what am I not going to tolerate anymore? And things like gossip, things like intentionally leaving people out, things like passive aggressiveness. Like if you're mad at me, you need to just tell me when we just need to work through it together. And I know that there's such a fear of letting go of friendships, um, even if they don't add good things to your life because it's like, well, I'll be really lonely without them. But I think it's way more lonely to be in a bad relationship than to not be in a relationship. Yeah, totally. And I, I, one thing I like that people often say, this is not my thing, but, you know, saying really pay attention to how you feel immediately after you leave with somebody or immediately after y'all get off the phone. What, what is that? What is that? Are you feeling like, oh God, that was exhausting. That says something. That's a signal. Or it's like, man, God, that was, that felt so good. Like she is just amazing. That was so much fun. Pay attention to how you feel immediately after leaving that interaction. I think that'll clue you in to how you feel about the overall friendship. Um, it'll just give you a little insight. And I so appreciate what you're saying about boundaries. It's funny. I think especially millennials, I feel like I'm unlearning a lot of things, learning some things with like mental health, social media. <laughs> like, oh my God, boundaries. I didn't know I could do that. Uh, so I applaud you for like getting really intentional. And I think you have to, like you said, like, wait a second, these things do not make me feel good. Don't want to do that anymore. So that when you're in the moment, you can more commit to it because you've put it on paper. Okay, this does not feel good. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, I appreciate that. And I think it's important to know like what makes you feel good, what doesn't, and how can you stay on the track of, of what feels healthy? Mm-hmm. Do you, okay, so if we are... In, if we have someone in our life that 
you know, is constantly, you know, digging at us or leaving us out or um, just not, honestly, just being kind of a mean girl. What do we, and, and we've given them chances. We've, you know, talked to them about it and nothing's changed. How do we get some distance from them? Like how do, we, and, and I guess I have two sides to this. One is in a friendship that's just kind of a normal friendship, but there are some where it's like, I need to see this person all the time. Like, so what if it's like mm. your sister-in-law's? It's not mine. I promise that's not the case. <laughs> um, but like, uh, what if it's your sister-in-law or what if it's your coworker or, you know, someone that you really do need to see a lot? How do we, how do we get ourselves to a better place in each of those scenarios? Yeah, so one could be saying very explicitly what it is you need to take off the table. So whether it's like, hey, listen, I, you know, I noticed that whenever XYZ subject comes up, you know, it gets a little tense or it turns into, you know, this kind of experience. Can we just take that off the table? Like when we get together, like especially if you know that there's some kind of subject or topic that kind of incites these behaviors in her, take it off the table and let her know that you're going to. Hey, I've noticed every time this happens, it, it, it just doesn't feel good. Can we just like not, do that, whatever that thing is. Or if you guys, if you're going to a certain place and that's when she tends to be mean, or if you're, you're talking about a certain subject and that's when she tends to be mean. I know for some girls, they've said whenever they get in front of a co-ed group and now there are men around, they notice that their friend who was their girl says a little, you know, she kind of does little digs in mixed company, you know, so little things you might take off the table. Um, and that might eliminate that issue if you still have to see this person. And that's the only reasonable way around it. Um, another could be, um, to, take distance even though you're in the same space. So maybe you'll say, and again, this takes courage, but it makes things plain, is to say, you know, um, I feel like there's uh, a lot of this behavior that's happening. You always want to point to facts and impact, not necessarily the behavior because they will disagree uh, if you give them something they can be defensive over. So instead of like, oh, I feel like you get sassy every time, it's going to be, no, I don't. What are you talking about? Or like, what? That's your interpretation of events? So hey, every time we get in front of mixed company or whenever we're like in a party atmosphere, there are comments that make me feel small and I just am trying to figure out what to do to make that not happen. And so let's take this topic off the table or I don't think we can go to those places anymore. Or so I'm letting you know the impact of this behavior that you do. And because of this, I've decided I'm going to respond in this way because, and I know this is a very life coachy thing to say, you cannot control other people. You can't control yourself. So if you want to give her a heads up of what's going to happen when she does that again, that way we all know and we're on the same page. But you can withdraw from certain environments. You can withdraw from certain conversations. That's all you can do, unfortunately, if it's a person who you have to see at work or at family events and things like that, um, is you have to call it out. I know for some of us, that's very anxiety-inducing, the thought of that kind of confrontation, but at least it makes it plain. And then if she inevitably goes and tells other people, which sometimes we do, right? We talked about that beating people to the punch. And she says, yeah, she came at me yesterday. She was like saying, I mean, like, I don't know what she's talking about. She came at me, you know, then you have to have that response ready. Because if they bring in other parties and they're like, yeah, she said that you guys were going back and forth. What's going on? So just say, well, she and I had a conversation. I think she knows very clearly what's going on. And there were some things happening that I don't feel good about. And I let her know that. And so, you know, that's all I kind of care to share right now. But I think it's between, you know, me and her. You have to trust that other people know. I think we underestimate other people's intelligence. They know. And if she has a reputation for gossiping, for saying things that aren't truthful, you don't need to drive yourself crazy being like, that is not true, you guys. She, they know. 
because they've seen it a hundred times. So you go out on, you know, with your narrative being like, man, I asked her, tried to crack her for details. And she was like, you know what? You know, me and, and, and Stephanie, we know what happens. We had a talk. I think we're on the same page. And, and that's all I'll say about that. There's something about that that's respectable. Do not drive yourself crazy trying to persuade people to be on your side because she's crazy. Just worry about yourself and it'll all work out. Yep. Yep. And like, you know, one of the things that I, I am a firm believer that like gossip and true friendship are just absolutely oil and water. Like you cannot have both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so that like, if, if you are not safe to walk out of a room, if you're wondering what people are saying when you're not there, that's not true friendship. And, and true, like the best parts of friendship just can't thrive in that environment. I think the reason is because when you're gossiping with someone or they're sharing secrets that they said that they wouldn't share or like they're showing you what kind of friend that they are going to be to you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not safe for other people, they're not going to be safe for you either. And so it's just like um, not conducive to the kind of friendship that we want. And so by saying, you know, we had a conversation and this is, it's between me and her and I think we have it figured out. Like you're showing that other person your integrity and you're showing that you are a trustworthy friend and that you're not going to go, oh my gosh, yeah, no, did you hear what she said about like, or did you hear what she did? You're just rising above the fray and you're going to have way better friendships as a result. A hundred percent. So one of the other things that I know that I've had to get better at when it comes to boundaries with people that, because that's exactly what you're talking about. Like this is What's this is what I'm asking for. And if you can't do that, then this is going to be the consequence. One of the things that I've had to get better about, and this is totally contrary to my like natural personality, is if I have to be around people and I, and I can't like physically distance myself where I don't feel totally emotionally safe, me personally just taking certain subjects off the table, like just for me. So it's like not even a, you know, group conversation, but if there's someone who I feel like always, you know, I always feel small when I talk about my relationship status around them or like, you know, they are kind of judgy about this one certain topic. I'll like have a conversation with myself in advance and say, I'm not going to open up this part of my life to them. I'm not going to like expose this vulnerability to this person anymore. I'll still be their friend, but they're not going to be the one that I go to about this thing. And that helps a lot. You can they can still be your friend in other areas, but they don't need to be your go-to for this super tender thing if they can't be as tender as you need them to be. In that yeah, area. and that's wise. And I would agree that that's probably step one is setting the boundary within yourself. So a lot of times we're like, oh gosh, I need to set a boundary with her. But sometimes our resentment comes from not honoring what we already knew to be true. So like, let's say I'm resentful because my friends keep wanting to go to like expensive places and expecting like expensive this and that. But I personally, I know my budget. So if I keep saying yes to going, I should be mad at me for trying to keep up. So same thing, if I get frustrated every time we're in these conversations, but I keep engaging them in this topic, I can control, you know what? I Why, why did I let myself get involved in that conversation. I don't need people to get on board with me to not talk about this. They can have a field day. Why am I engaging? And I I knew it was going to go this way. It always goes this way. You know, so I love what you're saying about, can you start with making the boundary within yourself first um, and see what kind of impact that has? Yeah, I really like that. Um, So, you know, we were talking a little bit about how there's this fear that if you kind of cut off some of these maybe less healthy friendships in your life, like what will you have left? Like it's kind of like cleaning out your closet and you're like, I can't get rid of my clothes, then Mm -hmm. I'll have no clothes. But it's like, you don't wear them anyway. Can you give us just like a little bit of encouragement on making new friends? Like 
How possible is that? <laughs> yeah. So the first thing, it's very possible. You can make friends anytime. The 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 danger zone is when you start to think, oh, it's too late for me. As soon as you do that, you just signed yourself up for 30 to 40 years of no new connections. So let's not lock ourselves in because we're we're drawing an absolute. We're talking in absolutes based on a present circumstance, okay? Um, so that's the first thing. And you have to believe that to be true because otherwise without it, you'll stay in situations that are not okay because you don't believe you can have fruitful friendships that are waiting for you around the corner. Uh, so yes, it's possible. Women do it every day. Um, the second thing is, you know, maybe become a regular somewhere is the first uh, strategy I like. Sometimes we're bouncing around doing all these things and trying to, we're flitting around from this and that. Pick a spot you really like, a space you like or or a certain organization you like or whatever it is and go regularly because that's why we made friends, quote unquote, so easily in school because you were exposed to the same people every single day. How can you manufacture that opportunity for yourself right now? If you're working from home, can you commit to going every Friday morning? You're going to work outside the home from a coffee shop, but you're going to go the same time every Friday because we are creatures of habit. There's probably going to be the same people there every Friday morning. And then it breeds familiarity that you need to say, hey, I see you all the time. I've always you know, wanted to tell you, like, I love your style or I love whatever. So become a regular. Two, make your desire known. Text a friend you trust or an extroverted, you know, acquaintance and say, hey, I'm trying to get more plugged in. I thought of you. You know, is there anything around town worth checking out? Are there any groups you know of that are doing anything fun? Make your desire known. Stop secretly harboring the shame of, I should already have friends. I'm going to be alone. You cannot have a need met until you make it known. Let people know you're in the market. You don't have to say, I need friends, if that makes you feel some kind of way. I like to just substitute it with, I'm trying to get plugged in or I'm trying to get connected in some new spaces. You know, frame it however you want, you know, a little a little PR on how you want to say it. But the message is the same and people are usually very eager to like give their two cents and help you out. Um, and then finally, reach back in your archives. A lot of us have people in our lives, but you've dismissed them as potential friends for whatever reason, they're too old, they're too weird, they're too churchy, they're too whatever it is. And we've like dismissed them. Is it possible that they could actually be good friends if you if you treated them like a potential friend instead of gesture hairstylist, gesture cousin's friend, gesture uh, son's best friend's parents, you know? What if you entertain the opportunity for more? And then I think once you train your eyes to do that, you'll suddenly spot opportunities everywhere. I love this. Danielle, seriously, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for the work that you do. And um, when do you have any idea when your book's coming out? Or is you said it early 2024, which feels so far away. <laughs> it does. It feels so far away. Okay. Well, we're going to just be shouting your name from the rooftops when that comes out. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to link to everything you have going on in our show notes because you are totally brilliant and you're doing just really incredible work. And I'm just so grateful for you. Oh, that's very encouraging for me to hear. And I'm glad that you are so intentional about having these conversations. So thank you for creating a space for us to discuss discuss and I'm and I'm hoping that it prompts some discussion from the ladies who are listening that they go and take this into their friend circles and have a conversation and keep it going because that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna experience any kind of productive change. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Friends, that was our last episode of season 15. I feel like this season totally flew by, right? 
but we'll be back on September 26th for season 16, and I'm so excited about the episodes we have in store. Before we go, I'd love it if you do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. And it'll also let you know the second we're back for season 16. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take just a quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows it suggests the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take just a quick second to leave us a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And thank you so much to all of you who've left those beautiful five-star reviews already. I can't tell you how much it means to me. All right, friends, thank you so much again for listening to this episode and for listening to season 15 of the Girls' Night Podcast. And we'll see you in just a few short weeks for Girls' Night Season 16.